Better Story Podcast. Today we are talking about waiting. Now there are a lot of people talking about waiting right now because it is in some sense a season of waiting. If you follow the church calendar or the lectionary, then you know that it is Advent. I don't know if you grew up with Advent or the church calendar or not. I did not. I had no idea what Advent was until one day when my grandparents brought me home an advent calendar and they're like, you open each little box every day before Christmas and there's a chocolate in there. I was like, this is stupid. I'm not gonna open one every day. I'm gonna open them all at once and eat all this chocolate because I'm not an idiot. Clearly, I did not get the point of waiting. I was also a uh, slightly chunky kid, so I just really liked chocolate. Anyway, whether you grew up with advent or not, and whether you're celebrating advent or not, whether you're in a season of waiting, waiting is something that we all experience from time to time. And so I want us to look at an old story, as we always do, and one that is actually being talked about and used in Advent a lot about waiting, and see what it says to us when we are in a sort of forced season of waiting, when things aren't going how you wanted them to, and you're forced to wait it out. But then also see how it pushes us to stop waiting, and how it does both those things at once. So the story is out of Mark 1, And it's just a few lines about John the Baptist. Now, generally during Advent, people read about John the Baptist because it's sort of this like preparation thing where he's preparing the way for God and for Jesus. And so let's check it out and see what it has to say. I'm actually going to read it because it's only about five verses. It says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit." Not a very Christmassy verse, right? Like, that doesn't actually have a whole lot to do with uh, little baby Jesus. But like I said, it's a story that people look at in Advent. It's a story that has to do with waiting. I was talking with a group of pastors in the Tacoma area, and we were talking about this story last week. And someone asked the question, what would drive you into the wilderness to see this, like, presumed crazy dude who is wearing camel skin and eating bugs? Like, what would actually make you want to do that? I think it's the same thing that makes people do strange things and be attracted to strange religious experiences today. It's desperation. It's searching for hope. It's because whatever was not in the desert, whatever was in life, in the city or in the countryside where you lived, wasn't working out. And so for some reason, it made sense to go out into the desert. And it wasn't like a drive out into the desert. You had to like walk out into the desert. It was like an intense hike out to see this crazy looking dude. And it's what people did throughout Jewish history whenever life wasn't working out the way they wanted it to, whenever they were sick of waiting, whenever they felt like God had just abandoned them. And so the audience that this guy, John the Baptist, who is probably looking pretty crazy, is talking to is an audience who knows what it means to wait, and not just like wait in line at a store or be inconvenienced, but to actually see like everything that you hope for life not turn out the way that you wanted to. To have life just sort of persistently push you down and slowly crush you. And so this story does two things, I think, for the listeners. It teaches them how to wait, how to continue enduring when life is just really bad. But then it also tells them to stop waiting, like two opposite things. So let's check out how this is working. And I think it'll have something to say to us when we're in a season of waiting or when life isn't turning out the way that we wanted it to. 
So there are times that life forces us and forces other people like these ancient folks to wait. There's nothing you can do about it. Life took us in a different direction than we thought it was going to. Whatever our expectations were didn't pan out. And that's true for these people. Specifically, like spiritually and politically, this was true for them. Their conception of God had failed them. There wasn't like one Jewish way to think about God back then, but at least in a lot of the streams of thought that were prominent within this sort of like cultural religious experience of ancient Judaism, there was this idea that if they were faithful to God, they would eventually be autonomous again. They wouldn't be passed around from empire to empire like they had been for hundreds of years. And by the time John's on the scene and by the time these people are out in the desert desperate for hope, that conception of God had pretty much failed them. It had been hundreds of years and they still weren't autonomous. And the story takes us to a really weird place in the face of this sort of waiting. And that's repentance. Now, I don't know about you, but my like fundamentalist evangelical baggage and background makes me cringe when I hear repentance a little bit. I think about some like sweaty preacher yelling at me to repent and like heaping shame on me and being emotionally manipulated to go up front and cry and make some kind of like commitment to faith. That's not what's going on here. That's not at all what's happening. What's actually happening here isn't what we have in mind with our sort of American version of repentance. It's actually more of a making space for something new, for something unexpected. Because their concepts of God had failed them, this sort of repentance was clearing out some of that space so that they could welcome a new understanding of God, a new understanding of life. This isn't unique just to Jewish or Christian tradition. It's a part of a lot of spiritual traditions. Rumi the Muslim mystic and poet and writer, says this. He says, Your task is not to seek love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Our task is to make space. And so this repentance and this baptism that John was having them take part in was this sort of way of like clearing out some of their misconceptions, some of their failed conceptions of God and of life and their expectations. It was in a way preparing them for something different. And when it comes to waiting, when it comes to the times in life where it feels like things aren't shaken out the way they're supposed to, like you're being forced to wait, even if it's not as like heavy handed and oppressive as the people in this story were experiencing, maybe it's just you had to delay your career because you ended up having a family unexpectedly or the job you thought you were going to get didn't shake out or the people that you trusted and you loved and you built your life around weren't who you thought they were. Or you wake up one day and you just realize the life that you have isn't the life that you imagined you would have someday. What I think this story is doing in part is teaching us that when we're waiting for things to turn out the way that we hope they would, we can and we should see those experiences as preparing us. In the same way that John was preparing this group of people for something new, all of your experiences have prepared you. Not in some sort of like cheesy God has a plan kind of way where everything is meant to be, but in the sense that Every experience you have prepares you in some way for the next experience. Even if it was a failure, even if it didn't go the way you wanted it to, it shapes you in a way so that you can better handle the next experience in life. If we begin to see that everything in our life has something to teach us, then all of a sudden we're not waiting anymore. We're in this constant act of preparation, of learning, of evolving. And so on some level, I think that's what the story is doing. This repentance and baptism, this sort of like literal physical act was meant to prepare them for something new, to clear out space, to remove barriers to God and to love. But the story is also pulling them in the opposite direction. It's telling them to not wait. So there are times in life where we are sort of forced to wait, where 
for one reason or another, you can't change a lot of the circumstances in your life. But then there are a lot of things we can change. There are times where we shouldn't be waiting. And what John was doing in this story was actually calling them into action, specifically through this act of baptism. Now, again, baptism may have some like weird spiritual and cultural connotations for you. Kind of throw those out for a second. They had none of those back then. Baptism for this crowd in some way was a political act. See, one of the reasons that life hadn't turned out the way that these people had wanted it to was because the political systems weren't working for them. And baptism, oddly enough, was a political act for them. Scholar John Dominic Crossan points out that just assembling as a crowd together like this in the wilderness was a seditious act in the eyes of Rome. It was politically threatening to this oppressive group. But even more than that, this entire act, this entire sort of going into the desert, being baptized and coming back, was politically symbolic. Again, John Dominic Crossan points out that for these people doing it, this would have conjured a very specific image in their head. Going into the desert, entering into the Jordan River, and then re-entering back into their land, the promised land, into Israel. It would have conjured up images of exodus, of being oppressed and enslaved by a group of people. In some ways, this act was meant to stir them to action, to give them political hope, to say that even though the political systems aren't working for you, you can begin to change them. You can defy them. Now, the spiritual systems weren't working for these folks either. It's really interesting. The text, if you remember, if you're looking at it, says that these people were going out to receive the forgiveness of sins through baptism. Now, again, we have all these sort of cultural connotations of that phrase that may not be helpful or accurate to what they were experiencing. But they had a mechanism to forgive their sins. They would go to the temple and they would offer sacrifices and their sins were forgiven. But the problem was the spiritual systems weren't working for them either, because at this point, the only place that they could legally go and offer a sacrifice was Jerusalem. It had become expensive to do that, to offer a sacrifice. That's one of the reasons why later on in Jesus's ministry, he goes in and upends the temple because people are exploiting the spiritual practice for economic gain. And so if you were poor, if you lived in the country and didn't have access to money or couldn't easily make it to Jerusalem, then this spiritual act, this spiritual system wasn't working for you. And so what John does is he creates an alternative. He goes out into the desert far away from Jerusalem. and He develops a different practice for the forgiveness of sins. The spiritual systems and structures and powers that were in place were only working for the wealthy, for the city dwellers, for the people who had access to it. And so John just says, fine, let's do something different. And so what I think this story is trying to do to some extent is saying, if your political systems, if your spiritual systems, if your life is not working for you, if it's not working the way that you wanted it to or expected it to, if it's not treating everyone well, change them, make it different, create an alternative. For a lot of these people, who are going out into the desert, they've been told to wait and wait and wait. And eventually they'd be delivered. And in some ways, John is saying, stop waiting. This isn't working for you. Do something different. So many times in life, we act like if we just wait long enough, something will come in and change drastically. We'll be discovered and successful all of a sudden. Or we'll get that right break. Or we'll be happy when fill in the blank. We postpone our happiness. We postpone our contentment. We postpone acting justly and living generously, we postpone those things into the future and say that someday we'll get around to it. Someday life will work out better. But this story in this season of Advent is saying, stop waiting, change it. Now, of course, there are things that you can't change. There are times when life 
doesn't give you options, but you always have power. There is always something you can change, something you can do differently. And sometimes it means being creative and thinking outside the box and going into the desert in a way that looks crazy to other people and embodying an alternative to the things that aren't working. There's one final line in this story that sort of pushes the audience over the edge or is supposed to push the audience over the edge and into action. In the minds of a lot of the folks who were in the audience listening to John, they were waiting for God to show up. They were waiting for their political and their spiritual and their life and their economic situations to change. They were waiting for outside intervention. The last line of this story, John gives them something different. John says this, I baptize you with water, but he, talking about Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is a reference to a verse in the Hebrew scriptures out of Joel 2.28. It's a verse that comes up in Acts later on. And it talks about a time when the Spirit of God will be and dwell with everyone, and all of a sudden, God is present with every person. So this group, these people, and oftentimes we, had been waiting for God to show up. They had been waiting for some sort of divine intervention to change their life and to make things different. They'd been waiting for a Savior, a Messiah. What happens, what John alludes to, and what Jesus ends up doing It's not drastically changing their circumstances and making everything better in the way that they wanted it to be. But he awakens them to the reality that God is already with them, that God is already present. Jesus teaches them that the God that they were waiting for to intervene and show up has always been there. So the story in that last line is pushing them into action, telling them and telling us to stop waiting for some outside force to make things better. That if you're waiting to be happy, to be successful, to take that risk, to try something different, to change the systems that aren't working for you, then maybe what Advent is about is realizing that you don't have to wait. In some ways, that's how this podcast got started. I had the idea for a podcast two or three years ago. And I kept waiting. I kept putting it off. I kept waiting until I knew that more people would listen, until I had more time, until I could figure it out and make sure that I knew everything was going to be perfect. Because I wanted to be successful. I didn't want to suck at it. I didn't want to fail. And I was, as cliche as it sounds, listening to Rob Bell. And he pointed out that there are two ways to fail. You can fail by trying, taking a risk, and not seeing it turn out exactly how you wanted. Or you can fail by never trying, by living with a bunch of what-ifs, by refusing to take the risk to change the systems and the things in life that aren't working for you. So this Advent, if you're being forced to wait, I hope that you can see it as a teacher, as something that's preparing you. But I also hope that this old story can tell you to stop waiting, to take that risk, to change that system, to do something different. Until next time, peace, friends.